Well, last week, if you were at the second service, Dr. Yusuf gave a, an overview of David's life. And he said some important things that the only two events that people know about David's life are the slaying of Goliath and the sin with Bathsheba. But as I was studying today about the, the story of David's life and the situation with Goliath, I did a long research into the background. And there's three ways that you can really interpret the story of David and Goliath. You can interpret it historically, that David fought Goliath, who was a Philistine. Uh, he was probably, Goliath was a Nephilim, which meant giant. And when the children of Israel, the 12 spies came back, you know the story that all of them except two said, but words like grasshoppers in their sight, they're so huge. The other way that you can interpret it is culturally. Uh, David is an example of showing uh, us the power of God over the forces of evil in the culture of the Philistines in the land of Canaan. Or you can apply it spiritually and personally, the fact that the personal conflict that's going in your own life between good and evil and what the Lord is doing. So we're going to see all three of those concepts in the message today because we're going to look at contrast. The whole situation with the David is contrast that is just unbelievable. We're going to look at contrast in leadership, lifestyles, and loyalties. So the first contrast we're going to look at is the contrast in leadership. And in 1 Samuel 8, you know the story, the people want to have a king. And Samuel goes to the people and he warns them eight times about eight different situations but the king will take the king will do you don't want the king because and yet the people in their stubborn self-will said yes we will we want a king we want to be like other nations Israel was always to be distinct from every culture that was around them they were monotheist, whereas the cultures around them were not. They were polytheist. And the Philistines had three gods. They were Dagon, who was the god of the weather. There was Asheroth, who was the god of fertility. And there was Beelzebub, who was the god who would control the insects and the, the flies and the crops of the land. But when you come in chapter 8, verse 8... It is interesting what happens. Israel is now serving and worshiping these three gods. Unbelievable. They had forgotten or they had failed to remember what their ancestors had told them about what God had done for them. It was the Lord God who gave them protection of the Passover in the Red Sea. It was God that gave them provision in the wilderness. It was God's presence that was with them in the tabernacle, a pillar of fire by night, a cloud by day. And yet the children of Israel are, are worshiping and serving these three gods. Unbelievable, isn't it? What a contrast. So Saul, chosen by the people to get what they wanted, when they wanted, because they wanted it. And you know, it's interesting, there's that verse in Scripture that said, God gave them their desires, but sent leanness of soul. Hmm. Aren't you grateful to God sometimes that he doesn't give you what you want? Mm -hmm. Where the contrast with David was chosen by God. We know that. 
He was chosen by God to fulfill his plan and purpose that through his line there would be a coming redeemer. You see, Israel wanted immediate fulfillment. Immediate fulfillment. And yet God's plan was future fulfillment. And how often is it that we want immediate fulfillment? But we as believers are to be distinct from the society around us. 1 Peter 2.8 says, we're chosen by God. We're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? So that we can proclaim his excellencies, the one who has called us out of darkness into light. We are to be distinct from society that is around us. Our lives are to be totally different. Our lives are to show forth the grace and glory of God to the society that is absolutely drowning in sin. And so if our lifestyle is to be different, that's the second point, the contrasting lifestyles. There are many contrasts in the life between David and Saul, but I picked three of them to show important concepts of how they can affect our life. So if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Samuel 13. The first concept that I see with David and Saul in contrasting lifestyles is presumptuous, presumption versus patience. So here's what's written in verse 8. Now, he waited seven days, according to the appointed time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring to me the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, and he offered the burnt offering. And it came about as soon as he finished offering the burnt offerings that, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him and to greet him. But Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, because I saw the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the appointed days and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash. Therefore, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I've not asked the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Saul had absolutely no business, no business being and acting like a high priest. But he forced himself, quote, unquote, to make the burnt offering. No patience. Presuming on God that everything would be okay. You notice in Scripture how often it is that the great men in Scripture had periods of waiting, right? Joseph, from the pit to the prison to the prime minister and the palace. Moses, 40 years Daniel, Apostle Paul, waiting. Presumption versus patience. 
The second contrast I saw that was so vivid was the concept of disobedience versus obedience. You know the story in chapter 16? The king was commanded to slaughter all of the enemy, to slaughter Agag and the Amalekites, but he kept the best to offer unto the Lord. And the Lord said, it's better that you should offer only pure things and obey rather than to offer a sacrifice. Disobedience versus obedience. Ladies and gentlemen, incomplete obedience is disobedience. It won't work. And how often do we ask God to bless our plans and yet we're not walking in obedience to his word and truth? The third thing I saw was that such a vivid contrast was discontentment versus contentment. Saul was terrorized by an evil spirit, as you know. I, I don't know what that evil spirit was. But David was called in. And I'm sure David, as he was playing on his harp in the presence of Saul, could see the discontented and the terrorized heart. And yet David kept playing on his harp. And that music came out of a contented soul. You see, my friends, David saw the consequences of sin in Saul's life. And even to the point of jealousy where Paul, Saul picks up a spear to run through David. Discontentment versus contentment. That quiet, patient waiting by David in a place of solitude. I have had the privilege on two occasions to spend time with shepherds, and these were real shepherds. And I can tell you, out under the stars at night, all you hear is a little bit of bleeding and maybe a harmonica. In the case of David, it was a harp. Solitude. It is in solitude that he writes these words. Consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and stars you've ordained. What is man that you're mindful of him? Or the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What about us? What about us in those times of solitude and quietness? Do we truly worship or do we hurry through that time to go on to do something else? Ladies and gentlemen, God speaks in silence. He doesn't yell to get our attention. Well, we've seen that contrasting leadership, that contrasting lifestyles of his molding David's character so that now you'll see the contrasting loyalties. Philistines, <laughs> we're going to be loyal to Goliath. We're going to put all our money on his power and strength. Forty days, morning and evening, he comes out to harass the children of Israel, the 10-foot giant with the 200 pounds of armor and the 25-pound spearhead, comes out to taunt the children of Israel. Where's your God? Send me someone to fight against. 
mocking. Trusting in power. Trusting in religion. This week I spent time reading about Philistine history. Very interesting. The soldiers in that army, every one of them carried a little amulet on their, on their, around their chin, around their neck. It was like a good luck charm because the Philistines were very heavy into soothsayers and uh, fortune tellers to get what their results were to be in battle. Religion, good luck charms, great emphasis upon what the spirits would be telling them to say. Same today. The world puts all of their confidence in what? Power. Prestige. And isn't it interesting how many times there's a mockery of some person who will wear a cross on a chain who's living an absolutely abysmal, sinful life. A good luck charm. A token. Not even having a clue to the significance of what that cross means. Loyalty to Goliath. We'll put our money on the power and the pseudo-religion that they had. David, loyalty to God. Loyalty to God. The Lord God of Israel. The Lord God of heaven. A holy boldness to confront this giant. A holy conviction that God was on his side, that today the battle is the Lord's and we are going to win. We will win. And in verse 48 of chapter 17, he says, he ran towards the Philistines, not cowering back. That's boldness. With that heart burning of conviction that the battle is the Lord's, you will be defeated today. The God of the Israelites will be victorious and you will fail. And he kills Goliath and cuts off his head. In verse 54, he said he put Goliath's weapons in his tent. Why? Oh, I think he put the weapons, dragging the sword behind him and all of that stuff and put it in his tent as a reminder of the victory that was the Lord's over Goliath. Always mindful about what God had done. Several years ago, I went with a group of men. There were 12 of us. And we went to Fort Payne, Alabama. And it was with a group called Desert Fathers. And the purpose of it was to bring spiritual encouragement to different people. And so what there was is that men would share what was going on in their life. And, and so we would gather around and we would pray for that person. And we would give them a physical reminder of that prayer time that there were other believers encouraging that person, and that they could continue on in the war and the battle for Christ. And every man left with a physical symbol of of remembering what was accomplished in that place. And it was powerful, very powerful. So, spiritually speaking, how's the war going for you? 
Is your confidence and conviction lagging? You see the opposition. You see the culture that we're around. Maybe you're even facing Goliaths in your own life. And you're saying, Lord, I, 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 don't, I don't know what to do. I, I, I'm more of a victim than a victor. Is it maybe that you fought better in the past, but now it's just, you feel like a vanquished foe? Chuck Swindoll, in his book, David, A Man's After God's Own Heart, gave four principles that he is, wants us to remember. And, of course, Chuck Swindoll is such an incredibly great writer. And he said this, the first principle, facing giants is an intimidating experience. It is. It's easy to look back at that past experience and say, I was overwhelmed then. It was intimidating facing that Goliath in your life or in your culture. The second thing he said is this, doing battle is a lonely experience. Your Goliath is your Goliath. By yourself, stripped of everything except your trust in the Lord God Almighty. Fight the fight. The third principle, he says, is this. Trusting God is a stabilizing experience. Oh, that's true. For you remember that David had, had conquered the bear, he had conquered the lion. God had proved himself strong on his behalf. So he had the holy boldness and confidence to go against Goliath because of what God had done in the past. The last principle that Chuck Swindoll says is winning victories is a memorable experience. Have you forgotten past victories? Have you forgotten the times that God came through when you were in terrible straits? When you were battling against a situation, have you forgotten the victory that God has given to you? That he gave to you? God says, trust me alone in your battles, in your conflict, for I do have a plan and purpose in the warfare. David's confidence and trust was in God Almighty. That holy conviction that the Lord will be and the Lord is victorious this day. Do you have that confidence? Or is it lagging? Remember, friends, we don't fight for the victory. We fight from the victory. The victory's already been won by our Lord. We can walk victoriously and confidently in the power of the Lord as we battle and fight the good fight of faith. So as you go from one war zone to another, I'd like for you to remember two things. Collect some bear paws and lion claws along the way. See what God has done. Secondly, remember the weapons that he is using against you come from a defeated foe. 
Satan is a defeated foe. Just as David defeated Goliath and took his weapons, Saul's weapons, or David's, or Goliath's weapons, into his tent as memories, let me ask you this. What's in your tent? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that the battle belongs to the Lord. And Lord, it is easy to get weary in the fight. It is easy to get weary in the war, the hand-to-hand conflict. But, oh Lord, may we remember the battle is the Lord's and that we are on the winning side. And Lord Jesus, I pray that this week, as we go from one war zone to another, may we collect the weapons of the enemy in our mind and remember that you, O Lord, are the victor. And so, Lord, I pray for that person today that's struggling with a a personal giant. Oh, Lord, it may be intimidating. It may be lonely. But, Lord Jesus, you've helped them in the past. You will help them now. And I pray, Lord, when they come victorious on the other side, that memory will be forever stamped indelibly upon their mind. We thank you, O Lord, that the battle is yours. And we praise your holy name that you are victorious over sin and death and hell. And may we fight the good fight of faith and the power of you, our risen Savior. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.